Welcome to the podcast where we do it for the love of it. I'm Kevin. And I'm Charles, and this is the Sports Podcast where we talk about the best stories and events from across the global competitive landscape. Well, uh, this week we're starting it off with uh, big, big news. Uh, the MLB comes to a close with uh, the Dodgers losing to Boston in, I guess, spectacular fashion. <laughs> I think, it. I guess, spectacular was the game before and the game before that. Like, <laughs> But still, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Like, what the conclusion is that the Red Sox were the best team. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, um, in the game, what's the number I'm looking for here? When Yasiel Puig knocked that one out of the park, gave him, brought him up a whole bunch, I'm like, oh, at the top of the seventh, and then literally was like answered back so quickly. I was like, oh, man, like, this is it. And you could just tell they're hanging their heads. Like, it was uh, it was a tough, tough loss there. And then just to follow it up with the next game. And they yeah. just don't have the horses to keep up. And it was <laughs> that was that. Yeah, that was such a great move. Puig was celebrating, like, while he was swinging, he was celebrating that home run. That was amazing. Yeah. All the great yeah, moments yeah. of this series came from the Dodgers. Yeah, but very, clearly very the most the most talented team was the Red Sox. It reminds me of the Philadelphia Eagles last year, where they had so much talent, but for for whatever reason we didn't really believe in them. And then they win the Super Bowl, and we kind of look back and we go, "Yeah, we should have believed in them." Oh, hundred percent. Like and they, like they were the most talented team, but there was always doubters. Including yep. myself. Until until the World Series where I did predict them to win in five. I did not have a yeah. strong belief in in the Red Sox. I mean, I feel like I, everyone I chose, I was like, you know, like when you have such a good season, it's usually tough to carry that momentum. So I was like, you know, it's going to burn out there. It's going to burn out there. It's going to burn out there. No, okay, it's going to burn out there. And it just never happened. Like... They were unbelievable. So, you know, wow. Like, what a team. And uh, well-deserved win there, for sure. Yeah, I do okay. want to rewind a little bit to the one yeah. game the Dodgers won. Game three. Yes. Like, I, I said that the Dodgers had all the great moments. What a game. To anybody who, like me, watched literally every single pitch of the longest game in, base, in, in MLB postseason history. Just a little clap. A clap for myself. clap for anybody else who did that. Yeah, it, that was, was it was a spectacular hours. game, and it was so much fun. Yeah, like, I went into work uh, at, like, 8, 9 o'clock, and then I, like, got off early. So I was, like, home at, like, 12. And played a couple rounds of NHL with you and a few friends. And I was like, hey, um, I thought I saw that game still going. Is that happening? Like, I just didn't know because I was like, no, nah, maybe this is a recap. Um, and I was like, no, that's actually the game. I got home and it was the 10th at that point when I got home. Yeah, I hop <laughs> online and I'm I'm never up past 10 o'clock. And everybody's like, whoa, <laughs> Charles right, is online. immediately. One in the morning, what's going on here? <laughs> and it was because I was still watching the baseball game on the other TV. Like, oh, I mean, and 
Like that Bellinger throw, it looked like it was going to end on there. Oh, yeah, Bellinger I thought it was over two. just had that rocket throw to get him out at home plate. and Unbelievable throw. Like, unbelievable. The whole, like, uh, I, the whole Nunez. When I, I feel like when I left, it was that. Like, I left when that, he, he just stole or, like, made it to that third base. And I was like, okay, like, I got to go. And I came home, I'm like, well, it's got to be done. <laughs> And then saw you online. Yeah, there were still like, hours no. to play after that. <laughs> still going. So, wow. Wow. I mean, it's so and, cool and to like see the whole, like that happen. The whole drama with Nunez, he hurts himself when the catcher slides underneath him. And then yes. you think, but they can't take him out because they had literally nobody else to take him out. And so he's, <laughs> he's hitting singles. He's... They even... Tried to not steal a base. I don't think he tried to steal a base, but <laughs> like he actually ran for stuff. Like they were pushing him, and he made that great yeah. catch on the foul ball. Like yeah, that that was the game. It wasn't a great World Series, to be fair. It wasn't a great playoffs, to be fair. But man, that game was so much fun. Yeah, no, it was yeah, to say the least. You got a show out of it. I, you know, I thought it would have went to Game Seven. I just thought once again, I just thought the burnout was there. Did I think the Dodgers were going to win it? Yeah, I thought that burnout was going to be the thing. You know, I you quote me from before. I thought so. But, wow, Boston and really just so many horses. Like, everyone was hitting. Everyone and anyone. Like, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, okay. the starting pitching, which was the worry going in, were, they were really good. Yeah. Just like, wild it, across the board. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, I don't know how you get a team like that, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy to think that all those pieces, you, like, no, like, no one wanted more money. Like, that was a great team, like, capital T team, like, wild. Like, holy. Okay. Uh, Anything more about baseball, or do you want to slide over to uh, the NFL here? I think it's a good time to slide over to the NFL. Okay, so we're going to start it off. Um, we'll just keep it in order of the games that happened. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to start it off on Thursday, though. Um, Thursday night game, wild football game between Miami, who started off the season undefeated, you know, 4 0, and um, Houston, who started off the season 0 I mean, 3 1. So I mean, hey, zero and three. I mean, yeah, and, I mean, it was zero and three. three yeah, was it, well, yeah, one and three was there. So I mean, like, we're looking at a crappy game because one fell apart and the other team's in the middle. No, we got a show. Uh, Watson is getting healthy from that knee, and you know he only is in his second season, but wow, looked unbelievable throwing the ball deep. Fuller looked great. Uh, Hopkins looked great, and they just kept just peppering this team and their running game opened up because of it. So Alfred blue got some yards, which is weird. And Miller is the second uh, game in a row well. that Lamar Miller had over a hundred yards. Yeah. A hundred percent. And just because the passing game was clicking so well. Um, and there was just some crazy hits in that game. Dudes were getting flipped all over the place, falling on their, like a tight end got hit and did a flip. Like he was, Amendola, Amendola got flipped too. Like it was a gong show of a game. <laughs> so I mean, 
it uh, it was a well worth the watch if you manage to catch a Thursday night game. Usually you try to avoid those because Thursday night football should only be on Thanksgiving. But, uh, yeah. I mean, also, um, the another crappy part of that was Watson looking really good with Fuller. Fuller blew out his ACL weirdly. Like, it was a passion or interference or something, or he got held, and the ball was nowhere near, and uh, he couldn't make the catch. And all of a sudden, he just drops. He, like, crumples, grabbing his leg. It was super weird, so I don't know. Um, hopefully, they can recover from that, but I don't know if they have the receiving core for that. So let's slide that over to the Rams and Green Bay. I mean, it was a crazy Thursday night game. So uh, what about the Rams and Green Bay? Would that be a crazy game? A 7-0 team going against the one, the only Aaron, Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> um, so we got a little bit of a show. And then we got a really sad ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, like, not, it was a pretty good game. Like, it was... It was a messed up game. It wasn't the cleanest play game. Like no, LA's offensive line was terrible. I mean, like, I feel like I, it game plan wise, they walked into that game weirdly. Like it seemed like they were like, "Wait, well, we'll just you know, you know throw like we usually do." And Green Bay started having success, sending like the whole house, and they didn't adjust at all. So it was just them getting slaughtered in the first two quarters and then halftime they managed to settle them down and get it going like it was just so weird yeah they did improve it a little bit one thing i know that makes me think positively of la going forward is that even when yeah. they were struggling uh they they weren't going three and outs which is really important bad teams go three and outs even a struggling good team Make sure that it's like a six and out, a four and out, something yeah. like that. They're getting a little bit. They're getting a little bit of first downs. And LA was exactly, off. yeah, because your defense cannot be sucking wind at all. You know, like they have to be. Yeah. You know, like they need that break. And if you you're going to lose the game eventually, if your defense can't run or move, like if they're just <laughs> there with heavy legs, like it, you're not gonna you're not gonna survive. Yeah, so we should talk about the end of this game. This is where our, it was a good game back and forth all the way through, but the end of this game was pure drama. Yeah. Um, so uh, the Rams managed to score. Uh, Todd, I think it was with uh, Todd Gurley uh, managed to throw a little roundabout, get in the end zone. He's Here we go. so damn good. He's unbelievably good. They kick the ball, so we get down. We kick the ball all the way down. They catch it probably about two yards into the end zone, maybe three, and they pull it out. Montgomery starts running down the field and gets hit and fumbles the ball. Scooped yeah. up by the Rams. Yeah, the Rams went ahead on a field goal. The girly touchdown was the one that made it 26. Oh, yeah. It was uh, and a then field it, goal. Yeah, right. it was the, Ram, the Rams kicked a field goal, and... They did it too early. They gave Aaron Rodgers two minutes and four seconds or something like that. That's plenty yes. of time for Aaron Rodgers. But. <laughs> yeah, Ty Montgomery fumbles the ball. Scooped up by the Rams. Game basically over. Todd Gurley busts one, but he stops from running in the end zone. Uh, so that the time will run more. So the whole entire game will be out. Don't give, you know, 
that yeah, they just needed chance. one first down so as soon as he got it he just stayed in bounds and at that point it was yeah. just a knee Aaron Rodgers never gets to see the ball again exactly heartbreaking now, finish for him yeah exactly you I mean for a game like that too I mean you're expecting yeah, something that's super true. exciting so I mean hey crazy game uh the Rams deserve that win just as much as Green Bay so Rams it is yeah, eight no all right Okay, sliding over to Baltimore and Carolina. I sadly <laughs> missed this game, so I'm going to let you riff on this one. Yes, my Super Bowl pick, I'm going to rep it, especially this week, because they look really good. They fell behind early. Ravens yep. scored first. But Carolina, they are looking better and better. Basically, in the last five quarters, they've looked like a true big-time Super Bowl contender. Yeah, they I get, mean, uh, you would expect that team to be, you know, that type of thing. Because you have Cam Newton. You have a whole bunch of pieces they got for Cam Newton. You know, with a receiver draft with uh, McCaffrey two years ago. Like, you're you're seeing these things kind of come together. Not two years ago, but a year ago. So, yeah. I mean, like, you're, like, these things are starting to come together and starting to hit for them. And it's looking good. That's yeah, sure. this certainly isn't a big surprise, but they started out the season kind of indecisive. You weren't sure where they're going to go. And I was getting a little worried, not too worried about my Super Bowl pick. <laughs> but in these last last five quarters especially, like the Ravens are not a chump team, and this was not a small victory. No, not at all. I mean, I thought, once again, I think the Ravens are going to be that team that sneaks in. So, uh I thought they would actually win the whole thing, but it turns out that the Browns dropped the ball in both games, but that's another thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, um, Carolina's looking great, and this is a good thing because we need another exciting team out of there, especially if Atlanta's about to fall right off a cliff. Yeah, and talk about exciting. When Cam Newton is on his game, he's the most exciting player in the league. He's not always on his game, but when he is, it is great yeah. theater. Yeah, and it's it's fun to watch him, and he has such a big smile, and it's contagious. You're watching this dude, you know, have so much fun playing this game that you're it's a game, right? But you're getting yeah. paid; it's a job for everyone. He's having fun doing it, so it's crazy to see. Yeah, well, let's move on from my Super Bowl pick to your Super Bowl pick: the New yeah. Orleans Saints with a little bit of a revenge game against the Minnesota Vikings. Yes. Another. Hand, handily won game. Yes, and um, uh, it's awesome for my Super Bowl pick. <laughs> uh, they looked great. Um, they played a t- uh, you know a tough game, like one of the best. Re- I mean, best receivers in the game. Feeling right now, he is unbelievable. He kept doing exactly what he was, you know, doing games before. You know, catching absolutely everything being there all the time they're moving the ball everywhere move move here push here throw there like they're doing well it's just here's a mistake there because his defense is really good the new orleans saints defense being good is weird to me (laughs) yeah can you explain (laughs) i I didn't watch this game particularly closely can you explain to me how drew Brees only threw for 120 yards i it I don't know. Like it, it seemed like he threw for so much more. Like, it, yeah, it, it was it was just 
uh, the defense balling out, making great plays. Um, a couple of, uh, you know, interceptions. Um, uh, one uh, scooped, um, scoop and score, or I mean scoop and uh, he got caught. There's a pick six. Like, they, the defense was balling out. Like, that's all it was. Simple as that. It was a very like, Kirk Cousins-like game. He throws a ton of passes, throws for a ton of yards, and loses the game. Yeah, exactly. And they, you could tell they were just throwing so much. Like, it's crazy because they do have a capable running game. So why are you not running the ball at all? Like, they, it was just like they, they allowed this pace to be super high and pass, pass, pass. And the weirdest part was New Orleans is the one slowing it down. And you're like, weird. Like, what am I watching? And, the okay, also, <laughs> they did a trick play for a touchdown. That's why it, Drew Brees' yards weren't 200-plus. There was a trick play that yeah. they scored a long um, touchdown on. So, I mean, it was, a cra- it was a good game to watch. And it was cool to see New Orleans get that revenge. It would be, they'd be happier if it was... Last year and not this year, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, there's always something year. hollow when you revenge a NFC Championship game with a regular season victory. But exactly, so I you mean, you got to take what, well, what's in front of you. Exactly, and the the Saints look good. They did look really, really good. So be happy with that, me. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> in other news in the NFL. Hugh Jackson lost his job. Yeah, this is surprising. To, like, not the fact that Hugh Jackson got fired. His record is something like three and a half a billion. Yeah. But why this week? That's uh, what I can't quite wrap my head around. Unless they get, like, some crazy coach that no one was expecting, this seems kind of boneheaded to me. Like... Why do you keep firing coaches like that? Like he is help like he's a quarterback guy. Your quarterbacks are doing decent. You don't have a lot of talent defensively. You don't have a lot of talent offensively. What do you expect? Did he not win against the Steelers both games and now you're like suck it, noob? Like it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Like, yeah, like he went why? one and thirty-one his first two years. There's yeah, absolutely like, no reason why you couldn't have fired him at the end of the season. I don't think you would have been blamed at all. But like, like why? It just I can't quite wrap my head around it. The Browns are just browning out all over the place. <laughs> right, it's crazy, and um, them that's gonna lead to them being exactly what they are, like a team. That's not going to find a good coach. They're not going to be able to pull in talent because they don't have a coach that's been there for a while. Blah. And then they have to overpay for people. That means that they don't have the money for retaining talent and they fall apart and disappear. Yay, Browns. Like, why do this? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we're... Like, this has got to be a real gut punch to Cleveland Brown fans because this drains a lot of hope. At this yeah. point, your your hope is entirely Baker Mayfield related. Exactly. Because like, otherwise, you have to you're hope still that looking. Baker Mayfield can pull in all the talent that's going to be a free agent this year. Like, otherwise, 
why fire him? Yeah, I mean, there's no chance he's doing it this year. I can't imagine he'll show enough this year. No. But maybe he'll develop enough that two or three years down the road, the Browns seem like a legitimate free agent destination. Well, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, like, now they have to rely on Baker Mayfield being the reason why players are coming. Because before, it was the fact that you had some receivers and everything kind of coming together. And your coach has been there for a while and you're – looking kind of bright like hopefully the next year you can get a couple more pieces and then make a playoff run but you fire the coach who's part of that (laughs) why yeah ugly (laughs) ugly i've said it before i would hate to be a cleveland browns fan (laughs) yeah it's very true this week Okay, so let's slide over to the NCAA because the NFL bums me out. <laughs> um, we'll talk about now, um, we'll go into the games first and then we'll talk about some other news. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Georgia. Yes. Georgia, who they play. So Georgia-Florida was the big game going into the week. Yeah, and uh, Jake Fromm, after a real poor performance last week, I thought came out and looked really strong. Yeah. Now, the the loss to LSU was a big one, and yeah, it's the kind it of loss where when you gotta jump over Alabama, it might keep them out of the keep them out of the playoffs anyways. But this was a really impressive bounce back game. I thought it was close for the longest time, but eventually Georgia just. Ran away. I think they won by 19 points, was it? 36-17? Yeah, I think it was, that was the case. And, um, I mean, I f- feel for kind of Jake Fromm. Like, it's a tough situation to be in when they're, like, you're talking about every time that you struggle, it's like, well, we have this guy, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> time for Well, it's this guy. You know, I feel like the coaching staff is pretty clear that in like they like Jake Fromm, which is fair. Um, but it, it just it's gotta be tough being like and you look back and there's a guy like, Well, everybody wants me to be here because you're struggling. But the thing is, as soon as that guy's in place, the same thing's gonna happen to him. Jake Fromm's made it all the way to the show. I feel like double down and, on Fromm. And like in the overtime, like he has shown he can perform. He was that close, so Right, it was you know it was a it was a tough one there through and through, but I do I just don't blame Fromm for that loss. So why like why keep suggesting that there's another? He didn't play well. Game? Like to be fair, yeah, I think it's legitimate to blame Fromm for that loss. That doesn't mean like quarterbacks, especially in college, have bad games, and he definitely had a bad game. But that doesn't mean you you throw him out to the curb. And Georgia believed him, and he came back. With a good game. Like, he was impressive this game, for sure. Yes. Very, very true. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like in that loss, I don't think it was a from loss when they played uh, Alabama. LSU? No, I'm talking about Alabama. Oh, you're talking the national championship. Yeah, I was talking about Oh, yeah, no. from so, was, was very yeah. impressive in the national championship. Exactly. Game, no doubt so, I mean, like, the LSU loss, yes, you can put that on from 100%, but... You, when you get into games like that, the reason why you can have a quarterback like have a bad game 
is because you have other parts that show through. It's not like Jalen Hurts has never had a bad game. <laughs> and yeah. Alabama still wins those games. Why? But two attack of Valoa, I don't believe, has had a bad game yet. Well, I've only technically had a quarter and a half. So <laughs> <laughs> The entire season long, that's about right. Right? Like So, I mean, to be fair, it's I feel like... You have to realize that there's other parts to this. And I don't think blaming Jake Fromm for losing to LSU makes any sense. It's it's just the way the game goes. And you need other parts to be there. And the difference between your coach and Nick Saban is unbelievable. So if, you, if Nick Saban had Jake Fromm, he wouldn't have benched him after the LSU game. Yeah. All right, solid art. I did want to, before we move on from this game, I want to just highlight one play from this game. Okay. That's kind of a become a pet peeve for me. Yeah. There was, a, I think it was in the third quarter, while the game was still close, Georgia, third and nine, uh, throw deep into the end zone, and fell incomplete. Excellent coverage on the play. But then they slow down the replay, and with this super high def, super slow mo that we got today, sure enough, the defender hit the receiver's hands like a split second, literally oh. like three or four frames before the ball came. So they uh-huh. called it pass interference. When with the naked eye, there is no way in heck you could see that. And I, I think like we should not be allowed to look at potential pass interference plays anywhere other than full speed because this I was agree. great coverage that got called a flag and they scored a touchdown on this drive because of it. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% because like I ha- I like that there are there's replays for certain things, but it shouldn't be used as to make everything be 100% perfect. Because otherwise get rid of the rest, have cameras run, have people watching replays, stop the plays for a little bit longer, let them robots go through it all and be like, actually, there was a holding on the O-line and we'll just call holding. Because <laughs> you'll see that there's holding almost every damn play. So let's not do it every time it's a pass interference because he has slapped his hands 0.2 seconds before the ball got there. Yeah, like I've, I've heard this argument say in hockey with offside calls, you can look at the replay, but you should not be allowed to look at it anything. You have to look at it at full speed yeah. for some of these more judgment calls. Because... Pass interference when you can slow it down minutely and you can be like, click, clack. Yeah. And that's the <laughs> difference between defender hits the hits the receiver, receiver hits the ball. It's sometimes yeah. that close. That's not pass interference in my mind. No, Just, it really It's isn't. technically pass interference because we can get it down to this microscopic level now. Yeah. But we shouldn't be able to because that's not a legitimate pass interference call in my mind. Exactly. And the real the real problem is is that, once again, you can literally put that camera on O-line and you would see holding 100% Yeah, any, of, the any of these judgment calls where it's not like, like out of bounds or fumbles, that I'm okay with that kind of thing because that's not a yeah. judgment call. That is literally bang or bang. But like holding pass interference, these calls, if they are going to be reviewed... It has to be, in my mind, you just say you're not allowed to slow this down. You can look at it two or three more times full speed to see if you made a mistake because refs yeah. do make mistakes. But you can't slow it down because that was an absolutely nonsense situation that led Georgia. Like In the end, they won by a bunch. But at this point in the game, it was a really close game. And this was a really key play, I thought. 
I mean, I, I, I just feel like pass interference is the weirdest thing because they've made, like, in the NFL, they have, like, so many rules to make sure, like, there's pass interference, there's holding, and then there's, like, another pass interference that's an automatic first down, and I don't know exactly what that is. Like, yeah, there what is was it, illegal all... touching or something like that? Yeah, like, there was already, like, three, like, the levels that would make sense. So there was, like, before the ball's thrown, while the ball's thrown, there you go. That was all there needed to be. Now there's, like, when the ball's thrown... And well, they change it to like when the before the ball's thrown, there's holding. So if you grabbed it all, and then that one's an automatic first down. But if you hit them before the ball gets there, that's not. That's just pi, and like it's just so dumb. Like there doesn't need to yeah, be a first down every time someone touches somebody. Yeah, when you look at the advances that have been made for offenses in the last five years of football because we're worried about safety and we're legitimately worried about safety. Yeah. We should take extents in the opposite direction and aid defense where it doesn't have anything to do with safety and stuff like PI and illegal contact and all this, like you're talking about the layers of potential pass interference type penalties. I think we should go backwards and make it easier for the defender to play defense because we've made it so much harder for them in many other areas. For safety reasons, and we can't argue going backwards on safety. Yeah. No, and I agree with you. I feel like it should be put in place because these players are trying to stop them any way they can. And if you got rid of a whole bunch of rules, all they're doing is letting them catch the ball and flying through them at a million kilometers an hour because all you can try to do is separate them through contact. So why not create it so that they can do some sort of, like, light contact uh, leading up to the throw, and then when the ball gets close, they have to peel off and then come back to it so that they at least have some tools so that it isn't always fly through them like a missile, so hopefully they drop a ball, and then, oh, no, they hit heads and one kid's <laughs> concussed. Both kids are concussed. Like, yeah. you're making Offense it so that... is only exciting when it's impressive. Right. Like, an mm. offense scoring when it's easy for them to score. Like, you could make it 11 on 3, and the offense would score 200 points, but nobody would watch that, because that wouldn't be impressive. Won. So <laughs> I think we got to take watch. some steps in the opposite direction that we have in the last few years. And I you obviously like... can't do safety, so anything av- above that, we should hate it. 100%, and I agree. And I feel like it, in the there needs to be something done that way, but... Nobody watches the NFL because a scored a team scored 60 points. Like, that's like, oh, did the Bengals score 60? I better start watching the NFL now. That sounds exciting. Like, nobody does that. So why are you making all these rules for the offenses to be able to score relentlessly? <laughs> People want to watch nail-biter games with teams that are close doing cool things. They don't want to watch it become a nail-biter with 10 seconds left, and then you throw the ball. Um, I mean, they like you're going to have a situation in which a player then is going to be hit, you know. I don't know. I'm just shook. It just doesn't make sense to me. I, I feel like I'm just rambling now, but the reality of it is, is that we need to see... 
a, a real kind of change so that defenses don't need to do the bullet into a contact hit. And you can see something so that they have another something in their repertoire that isn't just fly through them and bump heads. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay. Um, let's slide over to uh, Texas. Well, we're talking about Texas. What a great team Texas is. And they're on their way back up. And they dropped a game. Yeah, not a, not against a nobody, but not against a powerhouse this year. Yeah, I just feel like, man, Texas needs to do something. There's got to be a coach sitting around who went to Texas or loves Texas. <laughs> We've and... talked about this earlier. You're already off the Tom Herman bandwagon, and you're no, sticking I to am. that. Like, why... Why, why do we have to watch them lose? I I remember the good old days of Texas being awesome. Those were fun because Texas was like would be in the playoff consistently. You know what I mean? Like let's pre playoff. Ever since we invented the playoff, Texas hasn't been any good. Yeah, but exactly. You know, so let's let's get that good Texas so we can see uh, another exciting game somewhere along the line instead of just like. Oh, Texas is playing a powerhouse that they lose. Texas is playing a mediocre team. Hopefully they win. That's not the Texas I like. <laughs> yeah, okay. can't. Uh, no real argument there. Maybe a brief shutout. Uh, Edmonton, Edmonton player Chuba Hubbard with 80 yards in the game beating Texas. Oh, Chuba. <laughs> there we go. That's what I like to hear. Chuba Hubbard. I coached against that kid. Um... <laughs> He is a world-class sprinter, and I thought, you know, usually when you play, when you coach against sprinter-type kids, like, they usually go down fairly easy. They don't want to be hit. And I watched film of Chupa Hubbard, and this is my introduction to Chupa Hubbard. He literally goes against uh, Ross Shepard, which is a team here, and he gets pushed all the way to the sideline. And uh, it's a toss. So he's behind the line of scrimmage. And they literally leave him the hash marks on the sideline to run down. And he literally digs his foot in the ground and is in the second level before people are reacting. <laughs> and then he is now going so fast that everyone's angles went from aiming you know, straight across to make the tackle to aiming to the corner of the end zone as he literally runs everyone out of the camera. Like, he was the one of the most exciting football players that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So I, it's really cool to see him starting to play Canadian kid out there. And he's just um, a sophomore. He's already become yeah. an impact player for him. Exactly. So it's really good to see that and uh, Texas get better. <laughs> Alright. Okay, uh, we're back to the question about the Pac-12. Yeah, we asked this question last week. What is going on with them? And we gotta ask it again. Yes, Oregon. Oregon Lost. loses. Did Utah lose or did they perform poorly? Uh, no, I, sorry, it, they trashed UCLA. So that's not what I was thinking UCLA. of. But yeah, they're not, you're all good there. But... They, it's just so weird. 
Like, Who's going to represent them in the championship, not just this year, but like three years from now? <laughs> College football changes so quickly that maybe, know. but they're just a mess of a conference right now. A hundred percent, and it's it's weird because, once again, you you have Oregon, this team that should be able to get talent like crazy by way of facilities. You know, you're you're one of the top schools that way. Why are you not bringing in the top talent that way? I mean... Yes, it's taken a turn towards more of the South being the teams to beat, but, like, you have to be able to recruit something nearby. Yeah, like, Washington State right now, I believe, is the highest-ranked team. Yep, and I think Washington State will probably be their team to never represent them in the playoff, but to continue to be the best team in their division yeah, they'll, they'll be in the Rose Bowl because the Pac-12 gets an automatic invite to that game, and otherwise yep. they'll be irrelevant. Yep, and it's crazy to me. You know what's crazy to me as well? Let's step off this topic because it's it's sad and depressing. <laughs> um, the fact that there are even bowl games now that they made this baby playoff scenario. Like, I forget that there's bowl games. They literally have become so irrelevant it's crazy. Yeah, they certainly don't have the same allure that they did when I was like a 14-year-old kid and Christmas break would start right around the same time of the bowl games. And that's what i do for two weeks is i put on whatever bowl game it was. Yeah, but I mean, even in the playoff, they play like the Tostitos Bowl and the Orange Bowl to go to the whatever the championship bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah, they like, have the six that they rotate. Yeah, and I don't know what... The like that fact that they even played them. Like I just don't know what team played it. I just know that the first <laughs> round of the playoff, the second round of the playoff, and then you know what I mean. Like that's it. Like yeah, I gotta. You know what I mean. Like there's no. Like it, it's 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 crazy how much it made bowls irrelevant. Yeah, like, they they're around for tradition's sake, and beyond that, they've become irrelevant. Yeah, and I mean I love. Uh, the bowls. Like, I loved every single... Watching all these crazy, weird bowls, and then all of a sudden the bowls that you know, and the bowls that you kind of know, and the teams that, you know, like, all these teams mattered. And now literally only uh, six teams matter. Is that weird? (laughs) It's... Yeah, it's a little off-putting, but... I don't, I don't have a good solution to it, I guess, is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like the playoffs should almost be ran like um, March Madness. Let's do it the new year. Oh, no, don't do that. The playoffs are good the way they are. <laughs> the you just got to pay the players. Nasty. Let's go. <laughs> like, imagine the, the fricassee Denny's 5000 Bowl or whatever it is. If... The winning team got $20,000 per player. We got the excitement back. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Um, yeah, that Full would that would make it exciting. You would now give these guys a reason to even do it in the first place because realistically, the playoff makes everyone else money and does nothing for the players because it's done. They're already done. They've already been in the championship or the post-championship. None of these bowls matter anymore. Why play in them? Why risk injuring yourself for the next year and losing your scholarship? I've seen that more and more. Like, don't play in it. Yep. It doesn't matter. Unless you're in the playoff, don't play. 
give them a reason to play, pay the players. Okay, um, I guess that finishes up our NCAA talk, and we'll move over to eSports. It's a pretty big time in eSports right now these days. Right now these days. Them's good English. Yeah, um, So, <laughs> uh, Let's start with uh, the Overwatch World Championships. Just a bit of a, not even really a preview. Just wanted to mention that the top eight are in the Overwatch World Championships are taking place this weekend, this coming up weekend. You got uh, U.S., uh, United Kingdom, Australia, South Korea, China, Finland, and Canada, France. Okay, so... Not a lot of report, but I wanted to start that by throwing that out there, making sure everybody knows what's coming up. Okay, wow. We'll we'll keep our eye on that one a lot closer. Sorry that we haven't brought you a lot of eSports, the newest sport. Um, It just seems like we've kind of, like, there's so much happening... And then all of a sudden there's so much happening again and we're just slowly but surely missing it (laughs) by way of just, (laughs) there's, I don't know. Wow. So we're going to keep a closer eye on it make sure that we keep bringing you that esports that you guys love so much. All right. So so from the games that uh, are about to happen, let's focus on the games that have happened. Uh, Fortnite false skirmish came to an end this weekend. Yeah, I mean, lots of money on the line here. I watched for like two minutes, and they had like they do this little like frenzy thing where it's like get as much kills in this like five minute period, and it literally was like thirty thousand dollars, but no one won it, so it went again. Like two team, like two people tied, so it literally just doesn't split; it just carries over. So it was like five minutes, sixty thousand dollars. I'm like, what is happening? Like this is crazy. <laughs> and and watching these teams build is absolutely remarkable. Like they literally all live inside of like buildings whenever they get to like a circle and they're just building and cutting down walls and making doors and cutting and building and building and cutting and knocking and building and building and building. And then they like bust in through a wall and they shoot someone in the back and then that guy builds a wall and then it's it's just literally so cool to watch. So if you get a chance Check it out. I, I managed to really sit down and watch a, a big chunk of it before I fell asleep. Um, so, get, you know, check it out. It's really cool. Um, I'm sure there'll be a winter uh, set up here soon, and I'm sure it'll be for even more money, which is crazy to even think about. Yeah, they're always trying new things. Cloaksy and Tifu dominated the, like, you were talking about the Royal Flush, the kind of frenzy they have. But yeah. for the overall game... Um, yeah, it was Cloaksy and Tifu were clearly the best pair. Yeah. I mean, it's like they definitely came out swinging and showed that, wow, they those two are the teams. That, just exciting. Like, what did you oh. think of the team competition? Uh, I thought it was a good idea. I mean, like, it was cool and it kind of made a little bit more of a, like not like freak of the week almost, you know what I mean? Like it just felt like, there's a new group, there's a new group, there's a new group. Now we have something that's continuously happening to keep an eye on. So it's like, yeah. it, it, it's, it's just something more. Like gives you a leaderboard to, you know, see who's at the top and be like, I want to be at the top. You know, there's, it just gave more substance to their championship. 
and I, it was a much uh, welcomed addition, I, I think. Yeah, like the Dusty Dogs won, and they got there was a good chunk of money that went to the players for that. But I didn't yeah. feel watching it that it was a big part of in a player's mind at any one time during the competition. I don't know quite how you you probably changed that by having more established teams than they had this time. But yeah, I would agree it didn't with that seem 100%. that strong of a factor. Yeah, I mean it. it it showed through, like, I guess, a touch as in, like, these guys were communicating with each other and you around each other. But, like, other than that, I mean, it was kind of a side piece thing. But it gave you just a little bit more to care about as a fan. Um, but it, they'll uh, they'll improve on that. I mean, once again, this is only the, you know, the, the first one was really testing everything out. This is now the second to that. So, I mean, a third to this. So it's cool to see it moving somewhere. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll see exactly what happens in the winter. Uh, hopefully they have another cool one because I'm going to keep a closer eye on that because it was, it was really cool to see. And I may not play Fortnite because I'm not a fan of the building, but watching these guys use the building is really, really cool. Okay. Uh, All right, we should we'll move on to the carry on. <laughs> no, no, Step on your toes. <laughs> All right. We're um, moving on to the So the League of Legends. Legends World Championship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so it's kind of like all these people are doing their own different thing. The Overwatch World Championships are countries. The League of Legends World Championships are club teams, more like a UEFA championship. Yeah. And they just had the semifinals this past week. So coming up this weekend, we've got a final of Fnatic. Fnatic, I'm guessing they how they say it. Going against Invictus. Yeah. I mean... Bit of a surprise, I think. Yeah, I feel like we were talking about there being a super team in all this, and they are not represented there. Yeah, so we went back. We should have talked about this last week, but we did get distracted with the baseball and all everything that was going on. But KT Rolster, which was clearly the favorite, somehow dropped in an incredibly tight quarterfinal to Invictus, who is now in the championship. Right. So, I mean, walking into it, they're the favorite. But it's crazy to think about this team that was supposed to walk through everyone and win it all, dropping to something like that i mean it is exactly why you want to watch this like if you're a big fan of league of legends you yeah. saw something crazy exciting and if you ever if you see them losing their marbles after winning this game there's a reason why because <laughs> literally kt rolster is unbelievable so yeah the korean super team if you're not familiar with them they were heavy heavy favorites nobody quite has has the plan set down quite as well as they do, but it just did not come together. No, not at all. I mean, what a crazy kind of way for that to kind of end for them, and what an exciting way for us to walk into a final with the two teams that we thought if KT was in here, it'd be, oh, KT wins. Now we're thinking, well, it's got to be Invictus because they won that game, but who knows? Yeah, and Fnatic, they beat, uh, they were... no, it's not a surprise to see Fnatic in the final. It was yeah. a surprise that they faced off in the semifinal against Cloud9. I yes. don't think we were expecting the American team. They had a whirlwind schedule to get into this. 
tournament to get into the final round of this tournament to start with. Yeah. And for them to get all the way to the semifinal, even though they got their butts whooped once they got to the semifinal, I thought that was a really impressive performance. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. Um, hopefully, hopefully we see the, literally the same thing we saw between KT Rolster and Invictus. We see a tight game that comes down to the wire and... You know, we get that crazy emotional W because it, it's crazy how much they lose their marbles. Yeah, they play best of fives. We're all hoping for a three three to two, absolutely. Exactly. Okay, let's move over to your favorite sport, cycling. Yeah, we're, we're right in the middle of the off season now, but it was a big off season week. Just a few stories I wanted to highlight. The biggest, of course, the ASO announced the route uh, for the tour this upcoming, the 2019 tour. Yeah. It's starting in Belgium to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the great Eddie Merckx, the Cannibals' first tour win. For anyone who's not familiar, Eddie Merckx is the Wayne Gretzky and the Jim Brown and the Michael Jordan <laughs> all rolled into one. He is clearly the best cyclist of all time. Anyone who argues differently would just be laughed out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the highlights, there are three mountain finishes coming up that are going to be over 2,000 feet. Uh, 2,000 meters, sorry, in altitude. Oh, wow. That is going to put, like, if you want any hope of... Winning the tour next year, you are spending the next eight months just living in and living in Colombia or living in the Rockies or something like that. You're doing some <laughs> you hella altitude, altitude training. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've never seen anything quite like like three over two. You have the one day usually that's over two thousand feet, and yeah. sometimes it doesn't even finish over two thousand feet. It's just like the third climb of the day goes over two thousand feet. To have three finishes over two thousand is absolutely absurd. Yeah, no. I mean, since everyone's going to be in hyperbolic chambers for the rest of their <laughs> lives now, like, so how does this kind of look moving forward? Are we going to see a lot, like, since it's so high in the air, are we going to see the some of these athletes skipping out of some races that are, you know, lower to the ground? You'll, you'll certainly see, I have to imagine you'll have a certain impact of how people race. Yeah. A lot of the Grand Tour contenders don't go to the Tour Down Under anyways, but I yeah. would imagine that no one is. Like, that'll be a complete no-go. And I think it'll be big for, like, I think Nairo Quintana, Miguel Angel Lopez, these guys that were raised at super high altitudes, yeah, are certainly going to be foaming at the mouth when they see that, because they're <laughs> just naturally built for that much better than, say, an Alejandro Valverde is, who has always had problems with the altitude. Yeah, so I mean, now he better start that training now, living in a hyperbolic chamber on the moon. So <laughs> yeah. Them red blood cells up. Yeah, that's definitely the, the big story there. The ASO also announced, they kind of announced, the route for La Course, which is not the most prestigious women's one day race, but anytime it's backed by the ASO, which is the biggest organization in cycling, it is. It's a fairly new race, but it's already got tremendous support behind it. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to be racing in Poe. Um, there's some confusion on the dates because the tour, they try to match it up with the tour to get as much fan support and as much excitement matched as possible. But the problem is the tour is passing through Poe 
uh, just five days after the Giro Rosa, which is the biggest women's race of the year. So Weird. we're not quite sure how they're going to date it. It's possible they'll just move it move it so that it doesn't coincide as much with the tour. So there's a lot of confusion with exactly what's going on with the La Course next year. 100%. That's crazy. Uh, so I'll just keep rolling through some of these stories I wrote down. Paul um, Christian Prudhomme, who is the leader of the, uh, the Tour de France Organizing Commission, so a super powerful man, arguably the most powerful in cycling, has called for a ban on power meters this week. Okay, so we're talking about getting rid of those, keep that number at that point, because we know we can keep that strength at this point. Yeah, this has been, I've been yelling this at my TV for like the last five years. you got to ban power numbers. All it does is encourage you, like you said, just hit, I know I can hit this number, so I'm just going to hit this number. And it doesn't matter what racing is going on behind me. And rather than it being a race, it just becomes 180 guys looking at their power meter. And it becomes a race that's won in training rather than a race that's won on the road while the eyeballs are looking at it. Exactly. And so, like, do you think this will happen? Like, I I mean, he is the most powerful. He's going to see a lot of backlash, number one, because the top guys obviously win because of the power. Yeah, as far as general executives go, we pretty much have the two important ones, uh, David Lapatier and Christian Prudhomme are now both calling for bans on power meters. That's really good. The problem is you got uh, the riders, uh, the big riders, most notably Chris Froome, are very much against it, and the riders do have quite a bit of power. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, as well as like the, the managers, Dave Brailsford has come out very much against this, and he's quite a powerful guy as well. Yeah, so I mean, we're going to see, like, is this going to be like a, Civil War, like, you're going to have pro and con, you know, pro and anti, just right down the middle type of thing. And it's quite possible. I think we're leaning towards it because there's been more chatter. I remember four or five years ago when I was yelling this, like, I would suggest it or someone would, like, tweet into the broadcast and say, why don't they ban power meters? And the announcers would be like, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. And this year, somebody would tweet in and ask the same question, why don't they ban power meters? And the announcers were much more, let's hear both sides. So there has been progress. So hopefully we're moving towards that point. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. It might just be you know, fatalist worry, but I am a little skeptical that it will actually get done. Okay. I mean, is it something that's obviously not going to happen this year? Like it's going to no, I'd be shocked if it happened this year. Yeah, got you. So it's going to be something we see not this coming season, but it'd be probably the season after that type. Of yeah, Lapartier has a four-year term that just started this year. He's the president of the UCI, and he is—he kind of came in when he got elected. He wrote in on a platform of "I'm going to change things." Yeah, even if they're unpopular, I'm going to mess with stuff. I'm going to change things, and he's—he didn't change a lot this year, but he. He'd set a lot of precedent to change things in the future. So I think it's either going to happen in the next two to three, kind of two to three years from now, or it's not going to happen at all. Okay, okay. Um, Uh, Shall we move on to free agency? Yeah, 100%. Especially with CCC now in here, what what goes on? (laughs) Yeah, so CCC, it's a slightly... It's a very weird situation that's going CCC. On the men's side, CCC took over the BMC apparatus. Yeah. 
but they also took over, um, kind of half took over a women's team. Okay. So there's a lot of flux going on. And the biggest name in cycling, or at least one of the biggest, certainly the one with the best resume, Marion Voss, yep. has been confirmed to race for the women's CCC team next year. Okay. So, like, CCC, when you consider, we thought BMC was just going to collapse and disappear entirely. Yeah. To now they managed to keep Greg Avamart, they managed to bring in Marianne Voss. It's it's quite a change from what what nobody was really expecting to be very good to now is going to be a very strong, very big brand. They've promised to have the bright orange jerseys that they had when they sponsored lower level teams. Yeah. So I think it's it's really going to change the face of cycling a little bit this year. Okay, well that's exciting anyway. I mean, it's cool to see that CCC is able to make these moves because it kind of seemed weird after BMC didn't dissolve, right? Yeah. Yeah, We even when it was they saved the team, I think a lot of people were expecting it kind of be like EF Education Drapek or the Cannondale teams of years past. Where, yes, they survived, but this is a team that's entire budget was going to be less than, you know, Peter Sagan's salary. <laughs> yeah, okay. And that's clearly not the case, because Greg Van Avermaet, I'm sure, they don't disclose salaries, but I'm sure Greg Van Avermaet is making close to what Sagan's making by himself. Gotcha. Uh, other free agency news. Fernando Gaviria, uh, Quickstep, lost a sponsor. They'll be called a new name next year, which I can't pull off the top of my head. Um, but by doing so, they lost a bit of money and they had to release Fernando Gaviria despite his immense talent. Yeah. And he's going to be going to UAE, which is a huge boost for the team that did not have a sprinter at all last year. So what does that do to the UAE? Now are they the team to look out for or are they just finally making some moves talent-wise? As far as all around, like they were certainly a team that could compete. They have for um, Vincenzo Nibali. They had uh, Fabio Aru had his first year at UAE this year. And they've got a lot of um, kind of r- good rulers, a solid, talented team. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't have a sprinter, so this kind of fills out their team because Fernando Gaviria might be... He's been the kind of guy we've said for the last couple of years, is this the year where Gaviria becomes the best sprinter in the world? Oh, okay, and he okay. didn't quite do it this year, but he's still quite young. I think he's 24 years old. So he's yeah, still so a he's very young rider. And once again, we're legs. looking at it. Yeah. And we're definitely looking at it saying, is this the year where he becomes the best sprinter in the world? Because he's certainly young enough and just immense, immense talent. Okay, and finally, in the free agency move, Lizzie Dignan has yep. moved to the new American Trek Factory team. Okay, so this is another new team in the women's side? Yeah, so the there's quite a bit of shake-up. Uh, David Lapartien, we talked about him wanting to make changes. And one of the things he's done yep. is he has instituted a more regimented world tour setup on the women's side which will resemble a lot more what he's picturing for the men's world tour in the coming years. Okay, okay. So first year, there's just going to be five world tour teams uh, with hopes to go to 10 the year after that and 15 the year after that. Okay. And okay. these world tour teams will have minimum minimum salary, uh, minimum salary requirements, a lot more of like there won't be any issue of paying 
riders to get to where they need to go or paying for their equipment or anything like that. They're demanding much higher financial standards. Oh, okay, okay, that's cool. That makes sense. Yeah, so what th- what that happened is obviously certain teams, like United Healthcare was the big one that people thought were going to be able to make it. Uh, they simply couldn't provide that money. There wasn't enough sponsorship money coming in, so they did fold. So there are a couple, there is quite a bit of shift in the women's race this year because of these new reforms that I think are going in the right direction. Yeah, and I feel like we were talking about this earlier because we, I mean, I mean, we're talking episodes earlier um, <laughs> where we're talking about this change that they're doing right now would make sense in the men's because there would be, you know, like a salary cap and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, like basically what Laparche is building in the women's tour is he's building it to what he's trying to convince everybody else to do with the men's tour. Okay. But because he has much more power over the women's tour because he doesn't have to fight with the ASO as much and he doesn't have to fight with the television contracts and all that, he's got much more control and he's basically said, I think this is the best way to do it. And watch how I'm going to show you we can do it with the women's race because he's not fighting the same level of interests. Yeah, like He's not facing sense. the big money of the Tour de France sponsors. Okay, okay. And I mean, it, it only makes sense and it seems way more exciting. Especially seeing these players, uh, I mean these uh, cyclists move all over the place. Number one is evening out the board and making it more exciting in the long run. Because you're going to see not one super stacked team. That's what we talked about before as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly a problem in the men's race. There, There is a little bit of that, like qu- the quick-step team for the women's race is clearly the strongest team. But it's not the only, it's not the way Team Sky is simply the dominant team in men's racing right now. Yeah. Quick-step is really good, but Bora Hansgrove is right there. You got the Orica team, or I think they've changed their name, but the, the form of that. And uh, with Lizzie Dignan, uh, she did just have a baby, so she won't be there for the start of the season. But when she shows up to Trek Factory team, that'll be a top-level team. And basically, you'll have four top-level teams, where in the men's side, you just have Team Sky that you consider a top-level team. Yeah, okay. Other movements here at all? Um... Just a couple of good news stories. Uh, Annemiek van Vluten, who crashed in the World Championships, is apparently back on the bike and expected to be full strength by the start of next season. There we go. That's good news. And some just-released information, Montventoux, which if you're a cycling fan, that name just fills your heart because that is one of the epic climbs in cycling. The Bald Mountain, it's referred as. You get up the last three kilometers, it's too high. For trees to grow and the wind is just whipping through this <laughs> this barren landscape. It's one of the most exciting climbs in cycling anywhere. They have announced that they're going to have a one-day race to be held in mid-June next year. Okay, okay. And to have... I can't think of another... Like, one-day races, they're for the classics riders. Even the climbier ones like Liege-Bastogne-Liege or Giro e Lombardia. They're they're more for the climbers, but they don't have the hellish climb. They don't you don't see iconic climbs in one day races. So I can't wait to see how this experiment works, where we're gonna see Mont Ventoux hopefully every year mid June in a one day race. It should be absolutely spectacular. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, it, especially when you talk about those like conditions. I mean, you're gonna see something exciting. Yeah, those like if you don't bring out the best in cyclists. 
Yeah, if you don't know what to watch for in cycling, there are a few mountains um, that I would list. Or if you just see they're racing up these mountains, watch that stage. And Mont Ventoux is definitely one of them, along with, say, Alpe d'Huez, Monte Zocalon, um, maybe uh, La Stelvio. But Mont Ventoux might be the most, the, mo- the scariest climb in, in the world. <laughs> There we go. Exciting. Yeah, there's this great line. Um, Lance Armstrong, in his first tour win, let Pantani. They came together, they battled each other, neither could escape, and he let Pantani win. Mm-hmm. And Pantani yelled at him and freaked out that he let him win. And he was later admonished, Armstrong was admonished by his teammates in the press and, and his coach and everything because they said the strongest rider always has to win Vaughn too. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's got that kind of pull over the sport of cycling. Okay, so there we go. We're in for some exciting cycling. In the Absolutely. Months. Already can't wait. <laughs> it's months away. Okay, uh, I guess that does it for this week. That good full week. Yeah, okay, so uh, we had a little bit of uh, trouble this time around, uh, a <laughs> little bit of disconnection, people can't hear each other, we are doing it remotely from different locations, so sorry about that, you'll kind of hear some rough shots in there, um, but thank you for listening, um, and we're going to clean it up and keep working on that, and uh, thank you guys, We once again, we do it for the love of it, we're going to keep doing it, even if it is trouble. yeah just love sports too much to not do it (laughs) okay take it easy guys